Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this Lord's Day, and we thank You that we, Your people can gather together and worship You. We thank You for this special time that's set aside uh, for in-depth study of Your Word and the doctrines that we believe, and we pray today that You would guide and direct us by Your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the new topic that we're introducing today is what does what do the Proverbs say about planning and prayer? Um, as it turns out, uh, the Proverbs actually don't say a lot about prayer. Now, we're go- I'm incorporating it into this topic, and I think you'll see why I'm, I'm doing that. But the Proverbs actually have quite a bit to say about planning, about, about planning. And so uh, the question I have just to start out is... <clears throat> Or let me back up here and um, let's see. No, let's start with a question. What is planning and should we do it? What is planning and should we do it? So if, if somebody comes up to you and says, just, just give me a simple definition of what planning is, how would you answer that? And instantly, it's hard to do without using the word planning, so feel free to use the word planning. Uh, It's hard, isn't it? It's one of those things that we take for granted. We know what it is, but when it comes to defining, it's a little little more difficult. Okay, preparing for the future. That's a good, and didn't use the word planning. That's good. Yeah. Anybody add to that? Looking ahead to what might happen? Schedule. Ooh. What's that? Stat- Man, you guys are good. This is, yeah. yeah. And, and humble. Good and humble, right? Establishing a path. Okay, could, could be loosely, all right? Unless you're... True, true, true. Or maybe, in my case, establishing a path rigidly and trusting the Lord. Yeah, how about that? All right, so... <laughs> All right, so I mean, so the, the the Clayton household joke is, and I think I've said this before, is I know that there are certain people that <clears throat> are we call them fly by the seat of their pants type personalities, and I noticed my my parents aren't here today, so I can't pick on my dad, or maybe I can pick on him anyway. But some of us are fly by the seat of our pants people, right? And then there are other people that are, are, are more geared toward planning. And so the joke at our house is, is I like to plan my planning so that I can plan to plan, right? <laughs> or as a couple of years ago, yeah, Sydney's like, yes, yeah, obnoxiously. So a couple of years ago, I was uh, training to do a triathlon where, you know, you swim and you bike and you, you run. And I had all my books and notebooks out and I'm working on my training schedules and everything. And Sydney goes, you know what? You don't like the sport. You don't like doing the triathlon. You just like planning for it. And I'm like, that was the last triathlon I ever did. Yeah. So I get, I get great satisfaction out of planning without having to do uh, the competition. <laughs> All right, here's what, here's what the Apostle James says. And I know many of you, this was probably coming to mind as we uh, talked about planning. The Apostle James says, <clears throat> Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So based on what you said the definition of planning is, then how do we reconcile that with what James says here? Does does this teaching, for example, that James gives us, does this preclude planning? Is James saying, well, plan is foolish, just don't do it. What does James teach us about how the definitions that you gave of planning, and I think those were wonderful definitions, what does James teach us about our definition of planning? Okay. Can everybody hear back there what Hilda said? Okay. So we, 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 we still make our plans, but, but we, we trust in the Lord's providence, right? So where else do we see planning? If, if this is what James says in regards to planning, where else do we see planning in Scripture? What are some examples where we see planning in Scripture? And by the way, the most obvious is the book of Proverbs. So that's, that's the gimme, right? And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, but, but in addition to that, where else do we see planning in Scripture? Okay. So, yeah, you got a plan to provide, don't you? Right? If, if we just leave, and we, we see this, for example, in the, in the area of like retirement planning or things like this, if we just leave it to, to happenstance, um, it's likely that we won't have enough to, to live on at a certain point in life. Yeah, that's exactly right. Or to provide for our family. Where else do we see this? Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly where my mind... We just looked at that in Romans. Yep. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, I, and, and again, we want to be careful to deify, not to deify the Apostle Paul. But nevertheless, the examples that are given us, to us in Scripture through Paul, I think, are good examples. Paul was a planner. Uh, he was charting out his course. And yet... He trusted in the Lord's providence. And we see that, for example, how the Lord directed him, of course, to Jerusalem and by that into prison and then by that into Rome, none of which he could have planned for. But nevertheless, he was still making his plans. And, and, and there is a solid argument that uh, Paul was able to accomplish by God's grace and provision, of course, but he was able to accomplish a lot because he was a planner. He was just not willy-nilly. He was very deliberate in what he, he did. And, and we see this not only in the Apostle Paul, but we see this 
in uh, the Proverbs as well, but the caution is still there. And the caution that's given in, in, in James is not to like add this little phrase to, uh, to what you say. We, we've seen that sometimes in, in evangelical name it and claim itism, right? You know, well, if the Lord wills, whew, good thing I added that to what I said. You know, well, th- that's just si- silly. Uh, the point that James is teaching is a mindset, isn't it? It's how we are to think. I am to plan. And in my planning, I am to trust the sovereignty of God. God will choose, and again, we're going to see that in terms of how God works even through our steps. Uh, But nevertheless, I am to be a a planner. Now, I've added to this the topic of planning. I have added to this prayer. Now, this is not overtly... uh, this is not overtly taught in the Proverbs, but I want to bring these two together and, and look at them. And I want to start by asking, what is prayer? What is prayer? And before you answer that, because I know that as soon as I ask that question, you faithful Presbyterians are immediately thinking, ah, that's, divine, that's defined in the Shorter Catechism. And because as good Presbyterians, we've all memorized the Shorter Catechism. hundred years ago, that would have been the case, by the way. Isn't that fascinating? hundred years ago, if you had asked what is prayer, the entire room would have said this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will and the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Question 98 of the Shorter Catechism. Uh, that is a beautiful description of what prayer is. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to, to, to note that. Well, actually, I've got it there for you, don't I? Yeah, Shorter Catechism, question 98. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will. So that's incorporating what James teaches, right? Things agreeable to His will. We're submitting our heart to Him in the name of Christ, as we're instructed by Christ Himself, with confession of our sins 1 John 1, 9, etc., and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. We see that throughout the Psalms. Again, that is a Scripture-saturated definition of prayer. But my question for you is, is what's the relationship between planning and prayer? What is the relationship between planning and prayer? She prayed, I prayed, and my headache was gone. Hmm. And so, but I was yeah. right, I, I was determined yeah. to come. You made your plans. Made plans yeah. That's a great example. Could everybody hear her in that? Woke up with a headache, planned to be at Sunday school and church, prayed. Mary and she and they prayed together, and her headache went away. She was able to carry on with uh, what she had planned. And isn't that a beautiful relationship between planning and prayer? What else? Other thoughts on the relationship between planning and prayer? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but and and I agree, I agree with you. Planning involves a lot of, of of knowing and determining where we want to to go. Uh, but the relationship of prayer to couple that with that is to say what I am dependent. And that's the, that's the big takeaway from what James teaches us, right? James says, you and I can be headstrong. And we can make our plans and we can be so determined. You know those personality types? You know, they can be so determined, so set in what they're going to seemingly achieve that they fall away from taking it to the Lord in prayer because prayer requires us to be dependent. Prayer says, Lord, this is what I desire, this is what I, I seek to achieve, but not my will, but thy will be done. Right? That's what, what prayer is. And so the beautiful relationship, we might even call it a symbiotic relationship, the beautiful relationship between planning and prayer is that they should go like hand in glove. We should make our plans, but we should pray for them. Yes? Yeah, and I don't think any of us doubt that you have your day planned ahead of you. Start, yeah, right? <laughs> no one's doubting that. Uh, but starting it with that right heart attitude of taking... That, that's, a, that's a beautiful example. That's good. Well, let's look then at what the Proverbs uh, say. And I'm going to begin with this question. How do we reconcile... And, and, and by the way, I'm using that term loosely... All right. How do we reconcile God's sovereignty and our planning? Because on God's part, there's no need to reconcile, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's seamless. But in our part, we can, in the way that we see life, this side of glory, we can see them at times as incongruent. And, and so uh, how do we then reconcile in our feeble understanding God's sovereignty and our planning? And let's start with Proverbs 16.1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Again, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. What is the general truth of this? Well, one is, is that God provides what we need. God provides what we need. And where do we see that in this proverb? Yeah, that that would that's Jesus, but yeah, that would be a great that would be a great example. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good, that would be a good analogy, and that would be, of course, a, com, a complete connection here with the answer of the tongue being from the Lord. Ta- taking this out of speech, taking this out of, out of the tongue, how might we apply this? So we put our plans in place, right? Plan out our, our day or our week or our month or our year or for some of us are decade. Um, we plan out, do our planning, right? And in, in our, our planning then, who is the one who provides specifically, right? And, and so what the, the, the sage is teaching us here is that in our planning, we understand that even in the simple answer of the tongue or in the provision of what we need in a time that we needed, the Lord is the one who provides what we need. We are not our provider. And of course, the tie-in with, the, with prayer is perfect in that, isn't it? Because we go to the Lord and we pray what we need. We have not because Jesus said, we ask not. And so the idea is, is that we are to be people who petition the Lord for what we need and what we need the Lord provides. Number two, Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now this is, we could say, an, an, an elaboration upon the previous proverb in that it's not just that God provides what we need, God provides what we need when we need it. When we need it. How many of us have, have heard the expression or used the expression in saying it all in the Lord's timing? Oftentimes, that's in the context of frustration over waiting, right? I've taken it to the Lord in prayer. He has seemingly not answered my prayer. And a brother and sister in Christ will say, yes, but it's all in the Lord's timing, right? And what do we mean by that expression? Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect example on both sides, right? The, the Lord who keeps us knows us best. He provides for us. And sometimes that provision is walking through the shadow of death, right? And sometimes that is keeping us from the shadow of death. Uh, but He knows what we need as our keeper, and He knows exactly when we need it. And, and so if you look at that proverb, the heart of man plans his way. That, that's an advocation for planning, isn't it? This is something that we do. We go and make our plans. But in that planning, we need to understand that even step by step by step by step, the Lord is the one who's providing in accomplishing those, those plans. And this is a healthy <clears throat> and humble perspective, especially in, in the sense of determinism. Um, when we, when we are, are so determined to, uh, to do something, so determined to accomplish something, um, this is a, a healthy response. I remember when uh, Jerry Bridges was here 
uh, eight or nine years ago, and he gave the example of uh, flying because Jerry, for the bulk of his life, had, had flown around the country and really around the world at different speaking uh, engagements, and, uh, and, and he just talked about how early in his life he had been so frustrated with problems at the airport, delays and all the things that come, lost baggage, everything that comes with it, and, uh, and he said, but, but the Lord was using that to slowly, of course, teach me that even in these areas that I get so frustrated, but I'm, Lord, I'm going to do something good. I'm going to do something for you as if that somehow justifies his frustration and anger, right? But what Jerry said, what I'm learning is as I'm going to do the Lord's work, I'm finding that the Lord's teaching me, well, I'm the one who determines your steps, and that includes lost baggage. I'm the one who determines your direction, and that includes flight delays, so forth and so on. And I, I think that's a good analogy for all of us. God provides, but God also provides what we need when we knew it, do, need it. Number three, Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And so the general idea here is that God's purpose prevails. God's purpose, not ours, prevails. But I want to look at that first clause for just a second to make sure we understand it. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. What does that mean? What does it mean that many are the plans in the mind of a man? Yeah, there's a lot of things we want to do in life, right? I mean, for, the, for, the, for most of us, we have more things than we want to do than time, energy, and resources to get those, those things done, right? It's like this weekend, Sydney said something like, uh, I can't remember what, you know, you ought, to, you ought to read that book, you know, which to, to, to me is like, ta-da, wonderful, let's read that book. And I'm like, do you not know? I have 25 books ahead of that. I cannot get to that book this year. You know, and it's like I felt this burden. I'm like, oh, many are the plans in the mind of a man. We have lots and lots of things that we want to do, right? That's not all bad. But what does the sage teach us in the second clause? We may make a lot of plans, but what? I'm on number three. Yeah. What, is, what, 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 what does that mean? God's plan is going to override our plan, right? Because there's not anything done that God has not ordained, right? So His purpose, what He chooses, and the reasons for which He chooses it will always prevail above our plans. It doesn't mean that we don't plan, but it means that we have a healthy attitude about our plans and trusting that what the Lord seeks to do will prevail. And incidentally, and, and we've looked at this in the Proverbs, so I don't think I need to elaborate too much on this, but, but to, incidentally, the Proverbs does talk a lot about how sometimes those plans are not congruent with the way that we see things, or even with the way that we see the world. 
And we may think, oh, things are out of control. Oh, my goodness. And yet, the Lord's purpose prevails. And so we trust in Him. All right, my second question is, what means does God use in our planning? What means does God use in our planning? In other words, if, if the Proverbs convincingly teach us that we are to plan, that we are to be planners, then does God give us aid? Does God give us help in our planning? And at least in two different ways, you could argue more, He does. The first one, let's start with uh, Matthew 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Or Proverbs 20:18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. All right? So in, in both of these, uh, in the first, there are two, cla- two statements, uh, both clauses. In Proverbs 20.18, it's a statement, and then, uh, so to speak, a counsel or advice is given. Let's start with 15.22. Without counsel, plans fail. Now, for all that understand the poetry, is this poetic hyperbole? Can, can you make a plan alone and it succeed? Yes, okay, so this is hyperbole, but the hyperbole, the intention is to emphasize the truth of something, right? So, so we're to understand it, but not overlook what is this teaching us? Why would the sage engage hyperbole here, and what does this teach us? Without counsel, plans fail. What's the general truth there? All right, that's it. Yeah, we, huh? Yeah, and, and add prayer to that. That's right. Yeah, we, we need outside input. We need counsel. Now, we're going to find out elsewhere in Proverbs that, uh, that, that it's not just any counsel, right? I mean, there, I mean, there are people that counsel us that we should not heed their counsel right? Anybody, you know, had this happen? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've got certain people in our lives that they just seem that they're going to give the whole world counsel, right? But, but we are to seek wise counsel, especially specific counsel, but why? Why are we to seek counsel in our planning? Plans are established by counsel. Why are we to seek counsel why are we to get, as John said, why are we to get this outside input? Or why are we to, to have people come alongside us and pray? What's the benefit of outside counsel? What's, what was the first part of that? Wisdom and other perspectives. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I've not encountered everything from every perspective this life, and, and none of us have, as a matter of fact. And, and so we, we need input. If, if I'm making a plan, uh, were, I, were I a businessman, let's say, were I, if I were making a plan in a certain business venture, would I not go and seek out the counsel of someone whose expertise is in that area? It's not anybody that I'd go and seek their counsel, is it? Someone specific to that industry, specific to that, but also the other side of that, that I'd say the exact same thing 
and the, the other side of the coin is I'm also blinded by my own biases. So if I don't gain from the wisdom and the perspective of someone else, then I can be blinded in my own pursuit of something. And, I, and I'll, give you a, I'll give you an absolute beautiful example of this in our church government. Um, and I've, I've said this before, so this is not going to be a surprise to, to any of you, but in case you've not heard me say this before, that there are times that I go, as one of the elders of this church, I go into a session meeting with the other elders of this church. And as you know, as Presbyterians, um, the session makes decisions as a whole. Nobody flies solo. No one person makes a decision for the whole. And I'm, I think, and I'm, think I'm right here, and, and uh, John, you can correct me if I'm wrong. To my knowledge, I don't think we have ever had a, una- a not a unanimous decision. I think that's right. Yeah, so in 10 years as a church, we've always had unanimous decisions in our session meeting, which is a beautiful thing. And I've always thought, well, if we can't have consensus on, on, an, on an issue, let's pull back the vote. Let's, let's not do, do something unless we have consensus on it. But there are times that I have gone into a session meeting and I had a plan. And I, I knew it was right because it was my plan, right? And I mean, I even, maybe I had, a, well, it's typical, maybe I had some handouts. Well, here's my idea. And, and if we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll do this. And I just think, that it's going to be rubber stamp. I actually don't think that, but, but early on I thought that it would be a rubber stamp. And there have been a number of times where the session has said, I don't think you're considering this or this or this or this. Ah, it, it's both humbling and beautiful. Because what I find is, is there are all these areas that I missed that I thought was the right decision. We even had a, an, an issue uh, at a recent session meeting that I won't go in. It's not confidential, but it's irrelevant to this topic where I had struggled with it and I came in and, and, and I said, uh, guys, I think we ought to do this. And everybody said, okay, that's a good idea. Let, let's do that. And like two or three days later, I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. That's a, that's a bad idea. And I email everybody, guys, I'm really struggling with this. And everybody's like, well, me too. Well, me too. Well, me too. Well, me too. And, and the Lord just, just worked out that conviction on our hearts. It was a beautiful thing. And I say that simply to give the example, even within the church and even the, those of us who seek to pursue what is best for Christ's church and seek to do it in a godly way, Without counsel, plans fail. Counsel is necessary. Many advisors help. And, uh, and then the last clause on this, by wise guidance, wage war. What does that mean? What does by wise guidance, wage war? So what's the metaphor? So the me- metaphor is the battlefield, right? There, there's a war going on. You are a decision maker on the battlefield. And so what is this teaching us? That it's very easy to go out and seek to fight a battle 
on your own will and determination, which are incredibly powerful things, right? But the sage says, no, pull back. You need guidance. You are not inerrant. You can make mistakes. And so if you are going to wage war in this case, as the metaphor has it, you are to seek guidance from others. So again, the general idea is the same as, as what we've looked at. Number two, in addition to counselors, we are uh, uh, the, one of the means that God uses in our planning is intentions. Intentions. Here's what Proverbs 16.3 says. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, just a trick question to go back to the very first class that we had on the Proverbs. Is that a promise from God? Negatory? But no, not a promise from God. So that doesn't mean I'm doing my plans and Lord, I commit this to you. That means I just claim it. I'm going to succeed. Wrong-o. What, what is it teaching us? Commit your work to the Lord. What is the general idea of that truth? That's right. You, the expression was a Benjamin uh, Graham. I mean, Benjamin Graham. Huh, that's an investor. Ben, Benjamin, you know, United States of America, Benjamin Franklin. Was it Benjamin Franklin that, uh, yeah, isn't that terrible? Yeah. Be, Benjamin Franklin that said, begin with the end in mind. Maybe it was Benjamin Graham. Uh, anyway, uh, but, but the general idea is, is begin looking to the Lord. Lord, this is what I plan to do, but I bring it to you. I commit it to you, so to speak, and that is my desire. Again, your plans will be established. Is that poetic hyperbole? Yes. We're Presbyterians, not Pentecostals, right? For sure, it's hyperbole because you can make plans, you can pray about it, you can take it to the Lord, you can commit it to Him, and they can absolutely fall apart, burnt on the ground. It happens. It can happen. But the general truism, since Proverbs are not promises, the general truism is what? What is the general truism of this proverb? Right? And well, that is true. That is, a, that is a gospel truth. I'm not sure that's what this proverb says. What does this, what does this proverb say? What's the truism that this conveys? Stephen Covey. Yeah, not Benjamin Franklin nor the great investor Benjamin Graham. Wasn't Warren Buffett, but Stephen Covey. Hmm. Well, while we're checking Google, does anybody else want to Google what's the truism of this proverb? You see what I live with? Yeah. What's the, what's the, what's the, the, the general truism? The general truism is this. Not everybody at once. The general truism is that in general, when we start with our heart in the right place, 
with our submission to the Lord, including prayer, committing what we're doing, in general, the Lord blesses that faithfulness. The Lord blesses that obedience. And also, it doesn't necessarily mean, and this is now branching away from this specific proverb, but it's still a truism, is, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be accomplished the way that we think it will be accomplished. And again, you think about this, or what comes to my mind when I was looking at this, is I thought about the Apostle Paul, and if someone had come to Paul and said, listen, eventually the Lord wants you to make it to Rome. And so Paul might be starting to make his plans Lord, I want to get to Rome. I want to be able to work with the church there. I want to even be able to testify, perhaps even before the emperor, and I'm working on it, and here's my five-year plan to get there. I commit this plan to you. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to put you on the bullet train by getting arrested and thrown in prison, right? So the, the Paul did get to Rome, in effect, but he did so by virtue uh, of the Lord's planning, uh, not his own. And again, I, I realize that's just theoretical, but I think it helps. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes. Uh, what should we guard against in our planning? What should we guard against if planning is, in fact, something that we are told to do, taught to do, and if, in fact, it is to be, uh, to use an expression, bathed in prayer, then what are things that we need to guard against in our planning? Well, one is hastiness. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent, there's that word again, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. What's the first half of that clause mean? The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. And since we've already studied the topic of diligence, I know everybody wants to just jump out there and answer that question. What's the first, first clause in this proverb mean? That, that in general, if you are diligent... Let's just, we'll use a, a, a good example. Uh, so if, if I am, in general, if I am diligent about my retirement savings, that, that if I am just faithful and diligent, a little bit here, a little bit there, over years, what happens? Over the years, if I'm diligent, it is likely, although, although not a given, but it's pretty good likelihood that I'm going to have enough retirement to, to live on in my old age, right? So that's just a general principle, general idea, then the second half of it, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. What does hasty mean? Not willing to wait? In a hurry, right? So what, what does this teach us? Everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. How many of us have made really good decisions in five seconds? No. I mean, you know, some of us have gotten lucky, right? Uh, but most of the time, hasty decisions uh, don't, don't work out so well, do they? Right? But what about, what about those in which we are diligent, that we work through, we seek counsel, we, we pray about, 
We think about these things. One of the things that, that frustrated me when I moved from a former denomination to becoming Presbyterian is I got really frustrated because things moved so slowly. And I'm like, this, is, this has just got to be wrong. This can't be right. Surely there is some dictator somewhere in this denomination who can get things done. And there have been people who have left our church and denomination who got frustrated because Presbyterian government moves at a snail's pace. And so something that we think is important comes from us, the church, goes to the session, goes to the presbytery, go to General Assembly, comes down to the presbytery, then goes back to General Assembly, and that, on just one overture to our book of church order, takes almost, well, what's it take? So if we started, it takes exactly 12 months. It takes one full year just to pass one overture, and if that doesn't pass at the presbytery level, then you start over. And you go, no, that is not fast. We're going to jump in here and teach these Presbyterians about business. That's what I thought. And then I realized, no, there's something beautiful about the checks and balances, about just how slow it moves because it leads to refinement and refinement and refinement and debate and more refinement and working through these really difficult issues. And so it's the opposite of hastiness. And I think, as a Presbyterian, it's a wonderful thing. Finally, whoever plans to do evil would be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin. And the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. I pulled this, these two proverbs out to convey this general idea is that we should guard against doing evil or in our planning, we should, uh, to quote from, uh, and I won't tell you what corporation, uh, but to quote from one uh, corporate purpose statement, do no evil. Um, and uh, that should be also our purpose statement in our planning. Right When we're making planning, are we examining the ethics of what we're doing, the morality of it, that we should guard against evil? Well, now, next week we will uh, continue our study. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great... That's a great guard against. That's a great caution uh, that we accept the Lord's providence. And God has done as He pleases. And, and remind me, we'll talk a little bit about that next week, is what's, where's that balance? Where's the balance between being satisfied in what God has done in His sovereign purpose and planning? getting up and making things happen, so forth and so on. So help me remember that. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this study, and we thank You that uh, You have called us to be planners, to be diligent in what we do. But, oh God, may we be faithful to come to You first and throughout what we do in this life. Uh, we confess that while we make, make our plans, you do indeed determine our steps. Your purpose always prevails. And so may we not grow frustrated and angry and soured 
at how things may turn out in our lives, but may we learn to trust you all the more in the success of our plans and in the failure. We pray now that you would prepare our hearts for worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.